Oh, wait. Hey, what's your last Robin Hood trade? Oh, sorry. Wrong show. <laughs> Welcome to Disrupt TV. Uh, we are here on, and we're going to actually do some quick introductions. I'm Ray Wong and uh, one of the co-hosts and co-founders. I got Vala Ashtar, my co-host, co-founder, and more importantly, our producer, L in the middle. So, but hey, we're going to do some quick intros. We're going to talk about what we're talking about today. We're going to start with Diane, go to Greg, and then go to Dory. So, Diane, where are you calling in from? What are you going to be talking about today? Uh, well, I'm calling in from uh, just outside Washington, D.C., uh, and we're going to be talking about uh, the CIO predictions for uh, 2021, uh, you know, what the top IT leaders will be doing in terms of second business. Great. No Robin Hood trade for you? No, no, not yet. <laughs> not yet. All right. Okay. Greg, <laughs> what are you talking about today and where are you calling in from? Great. I'm, I'm calling in from the Bay Area. I'm in the East Bay, and I'm going to be talking about the consumer interactions with brands between conversations and digital and finding the right mix of this. All right, super, super interesting. Dory, where are you calling in from? What are you talking about? Hey, good to see you, Ray. And hi, Vala. Hi, everyone. I am coming to you from New York City, and we're going to talk about how COVID has forced us all to reinvent and become more entrepreneurial. All right. This is not the show about Robin Hood trades. We will be okay. We're going to kick off pretty soon. This show is sponsored by Robots and Pencils. So let's jump in and let's begin. So all you Vala and we're gonna all you L, let's do the count. <laughs> Three, two, one. Hello and now welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, and our distinguished guests your questions using hashtag Disrupt TV, and we'll do our best to answer them live. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He is the best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business, a regular contributor to ZDNet, Harvard Business Review, and his new book is coming out this year, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, another sure-to-be bestseller. He's a regular uh, television business and technology news contributor. I see him on Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, Bloomberg. Ray, it feels like daily. So I don't know, you're like a TV star. He's a global sought-after keynote speaker, and in my humble opinion, one of the top features to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to the Shrek TV. Hey, thanks a lot. Here with my awesome co-host, Bala Afshar. You know him on Twitter. You now know him in person at Disrupt TV, followed by CMOs, CEOs, CIOs, people looking for inspiration everywhere. And of course, he's the chief digital evangelist at Salesforce, author himself, and on business TV. So, but... We say this every year. We say this all episodes. It's not about the, it's not about us. It's about the guests. And more importantly, who do we have today? A very, very special guest. We have one of uh, my favorite people as our first guest, Dory Clark, uh, strategy consultant, executive coach, multi best-selling author, and a keynote speaker. Dory helps individuals and companies uh, get their big ideas heard in a crowded, noisy world. Boy, we need that now more than ever. Dory has been named one of the top 50 business thinkers in the world by Thinkers 50 and was honored as the number one communication coach in the world at the Marshall Goldsmith Coaching Awards. Dory is a keynote speaker, teacher at Duke University's Fuqua School of Business and Columbia Business School. Dory is the author of Entrepreneurial You, which was named one of Forbes' top five business books of the year, as well as Reinventing You and Stand Out, which was named the number one leadership book of the year by Inc. Magazine. A former presidential campaign spokesman, spokeswoman, Dory has been described by the New York Times as expert as an expert at self-reinvention, helping others make changes in their lives. Dory is a frequent contributor to Harvard Business Review. Her article about like career resiliency was just published in January, and a consultant and speaks uh, with and works with clients such as Google, Yale University, and the World Bank. 
a must follow on Twitter at Dory Clark, D-O-R-I-C-L-A-R-K. Welcome back, Dory, to the Shruff TV. Thank you, gentlemen. I'm so glad to be here. I had to cut your bio short because we only have 20 minutes. I just want to let you know you, you've done a lot. <laughs> I'm so honored to have you back. Uh, you were here on our previous episodes. I think like in our first five episodes, you were there. Um, and more importantly, I want to talk about your first book, Reinventing You. At a time like now, people are going nuts. They're trying to figure out what to do. They've got all this free time. And how have you seen this reinvention play out during the pandemic? Yeah, absolutely, Ray. You, I, I even have a prop because, of course, we're now, you know, we're all at home. So <laughs> this is the first book, Reinventing You. Excellent. And it has become, I think, especially relevant during this time. I mean, in the book, Reinventing You, I actually talk about how there's two different kinds of reinvention. There's uh, there's basically the, the reinvention that we're planning for. You know, that's the, mm. oh, gosh, I've always wanted to become a photographer, maybe one day. And then there's the reinvention that is thrust upon us. And during COVID, for so many of us, we have had the latter where it's unexpected, sometimes it's unwanted, and we suddenly have to figure out what to do. I can relate to that and empathize in many ways because for me, I actually lost my job uh, as a reporter, my first job I ever had out of school wow. uh, on September 10th. 2001, my big plan was, oh, I'm going to go job hunting the next day. Not so much. Um, so I think wow. a lot of people in COVID have had something similar where they realize, okay, you know, now is, now is the time to step up. We really have to reinvent ourselves. And so I think the urgency around it has, has really dramatically increased for this most people. The whole world at the same time. I mean, 9-11 was just isolated, but now everybody's thinking about this. Wow. Right. right. And there seems to be a strong linkage because your other book, Entrepreneurial, you focused on creating multiple streams of income and, and revenue for your business. So, you know, the pandemic is, as you said, is a forcing function uh, in terms of reinvention, in terms of, uh, you know, having that beginner's mindset, having the courage and that entrepreneurial spirit to, you know, be comfortable with the uncomfortable. Uh, you know, I haven't left my house in a year and I'm assuming it's true for all of our guests and, and Rick, well, Ray, Ray is more adventurous than I am. So, he, but uh, can you talk about, you know, uh, maybe some examples of how you re reinvented yourself since the pandemic and what's critically important for uh, individuals to have that entrepreneurial spirit and mindset in order to grow and thrive in this, in this new normal? Yeah, absolutely, Vala. One of the things that I think many people are realizing, um, some of us for the first time, some of us, it's just come into starker relief, is the importance of having, as I like to say, you know, multiple legs on your table. We, we had this picture of reality before about, oh, you know, this is how it is. This is what reality looks like. And of course, the pandemic just completely upended it. And you realize if you have, you know, a, even a safe job, you know, a regular corporate job, if, if there's one leg on your table and that leg gets cut off, you are in trouble. And so one of the very best things that we can do for our careers, certainly if we're an entrepreneur, but I would argue also if you are an employee working at a company, is to proactively cultivate side gigs that actually give you, you know, not, not just, you know, in the short term, it gives you more experience, more skills. That's always a good thing. But over time, it actually can create new revenue streams for you. Maybe it's, you know, consulting or coaching a little bit on the side. Maybe it's pursuing a side interest, like, you know, you're, you're great at technology, so you start advising people on uh, how to set up their home systems, whatever it is. But it gives you just that much more resiliency in case of uh, some of the unexpected challenges like we have experienced over the past year. 
Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, perfect that side hustle now while you can and uh, figure out something that you might be good at while you've got the time. So, and, and a lot of people have a lot more time today, but part of the problem is they, people don't know who they are, right? And your writings often focus on the personal brand and how to actually you know, highlight the things that make you different. Um, how has the pandemic changed personal branding? Have you seen people make that shift? Have you seen people reinvent themselves and get the personal branding and the side hustle in play? Yeah, I think we have all really had to, to reckon with the fact that, especially as we're shifting to a virtual environment, you're you're getting to you know connect with people in th this kind of abnormal way, right? Like the normal ways that you would be conveying to people who you are and what you're about, um, you know, what it's like to be around you or, or what your skills are. We don't have that anymore. And so we actually have to be a lot more thoughtful and deliberate. And I think, you know, this is true with a lot of things in COVID. A lot of companies, for instance, used to take culture for granted. Just say, oh, well, culture is, you know, what people feel when they're in the building. They get it. They pick it up. Well, you know what? There's not a building now. No one's picking up culture. You have to be very precise about what culture is that you want to transmit. And similarly for our personal brands, we can't afford any longer just to sit back and say, oh, you know, people will get it. They'll understand. We have to be very conscious about what message am I sending? What message do I want to send? And am I seeing evidence that that actually is being transmitted properly? Yeah, you talk about it being explicit, not like, oh, it's passive. People can just go figure it out on their own. Um, and, and just to jump in real quick, like what's an explicit way to do that? So it, it's out there, but not like being braggy or being arrogant. Mm -hmm. Like some people are like just like turned off. I mean, that's, that's a big turnoff for a lot of people. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a really important question, Ray, because ultimately, and I, I want to make sure that, that folks get this point too, being explicit doesn't mean explicit in the sense of, I am going to tell you exactly how to think about me. And the answer is, I'm awesome. <laughs> that, you are awesome. You are awesome. You are awesome. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. But as you just demonstrated, it matters a lot more when you say it about me rather than when I say it about me. And so really what, what I uh, believe from the research that I've done over the past decade is that ultimately the explicit part is you have to be clear about how you would like to be perceived. You know, there's sort of this internal clarity. I think a lot of us don't even know, but if you're internally clear, then you can take steps to demonstrate so that, so that the right message gets through. So for instance, if I want people to think of me as strategic, you know, I could say, oh, I'm so strategic, look at me, but there's not a lot of credibility and people might think you're a jerk. The real answer is if I know I want people to think I'm strategic, what are the actions I can take so that they get an unmistakable message about that? Maybe it's that I get my friend Vala and my friend Ray to say, oh, how strategic I am. Maybe it's that I'm volunteering to lead strategic planning committees. There's a lot of different things you can do that don't involve saying the words, oh, look at me, I am so X, Y, Z. Yeah, absolutely. And your actions have to speak louder than your words. I'm fortunate enough, Ray is fortunate enough, we've watched you in action. And the reason I say you're awesome is because one, you're likable, two, you're authentic, you're generous, like you're accessible. I've seen you in big conference rooms, big keynotes, people walk up to you and you're taking selfies, you're answering their questions. And so, so again, you, you have to live those words. And, and, and um, you, wrote a, you wrote an article in HBR uh, uh, last week and, and it was about identifying and mitigating risk in your career. And one of the sections was um, expand your definition of success, which spoke to me. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, level setting your expectations, being more flexible, um, loving the part of exploring new opportunities in terms of 
you know, eliminating some of the rigidity that we may have that ultimately gives us blind spots or closes certain doors that, you know, we could go through had we had a more, you know, flexible mindset. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a really important point, Vala. And it's one that I actually talk about in the book that I'm writing now. I actually literally sent in the final edits this week. So it's very yes, exciting. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> Uh, it's coming out in September from Harvard Business Review Press. It's called The Long Game. But one of the stories that I actually tell in there, which I think exemplifies this in many ways, when I was in college, my big goal for myself, I, I wanted to be an academic. I wanted to you know, write and teach and things like that. That was what I was very excited about. And I went on to get my master's degree. Okay, check, nice. I go on to try to get a doctorate and I get turned down by every single program that I applied oh for. I was just, I was, I was not expecting to get turned down by all of them. And yet I did. But wow. what, what I think there's 50 is telling your audience members, listen to this. Do not let a setback hold you from becoming recognized as one of the biggest the strategist thinkers in the world. Expert in the world <laughs> have, you called, you. have you written back to all those institutions and say, <laughs> booyah, or, you know, <laughs> That's right. Take that, people. Take yeah. that. I'll take my honorary. I'll take my honorary doctorate now. I'll come speak. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, wow. not a, not at all. But but so you know, I for you know when you when you get a setback like that, you assume oh the dream is dead. It's never going to happen, and you you know you kind of feel bad. But the truth is, almost always there is another way in. And it turns out it's actually, you know, in some cases it can be far more efficient. I could have spent eight years getting my doctorate so I would be qualified to teach at a university. I still don't have a doctorate. I don't, you know, I don't have an MBA, none of that. And yet I teach for, business school. <laughs> like, you know, the world's top 10 business schools. And I was able to, to do it, you know, kind of through the side door. So we think oftentimes, oh, there's only one way to succeed. But, but oftentimes there's, uh, you know, as they say, if the door is closed, you can go in through the window. That's amazing. Hey, Bala, we have hope. That was a public yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't have a doctor either. My parents are so disappointed <laughs> because, you know, they just, you know, if you're from the Middle East and your parents just, if you don't get your doctorate, you fail. But this place to all of Persia. I hear you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but one, one follow up question. Are, are the students, are your students asking different set of questions? Are they concerned about different set of constraints in this? decentralized digital only world where, you know, your brand is now your digital footprint and maybe your digital exhaust. You don't have the opportunity to impress someone in person. And, you know, it just seems like even though there's great opportunities out there, you have to learn a different game and you have to develop different skills. How are, how are you changing your curriculum as a, as a you know, professor at the top business school in the world in this new world? Yeah. What, one of the things that you're touching on, Bala, that I think is really important here is in my research, one of the, the key components about becoming a recognized expert in your field, there's really three key pieces to it. The first is content creation so that people will know what your ideas are. The second is garnering social proof so that you have enough credibility that people are willing to listen to you. And the third is building your network. So you have people to amplify your ideas, to stress test them. And this is one in particular that has really suffered during COVID. And I think a lot of, a lot of professionals, a lot of young professionals are keenly aware of it, especially during the early days of COVID. But also as we stretch on, the impulse was to turn inward. 
oh, well, you know, I'm sequestered. So I, I, you know, I'm with my family or gosh, it's scary. I should call my grandma more. I should, you know, talk to my, my best friends. And so we all got better at that, which is a wonderful thing. But the part that we got worse at, and unfortunately, this is kind of important in our professional lives, is continuing to meet new people and to yes. nurture the, the kind of uh, weaker ties that we have that can be really powerful. So we actually really, we can't let that go. We have to be much more conscious. We're not gonna bump into them in the elevator. We have to make sure mm -hmm. we're inviting them to the Zoom chat, that we're inviting them to the virtual cocktails. We can't let that slide. Yeah, by the way, I got invited to one of Dory's, you know, casual Zoom chats. For someone who suffers with imposter syndrome, uh, uh, advice to others who might get invited to Dory Zoom, like really extraordinary people in the Zoom chat. So as you go around introducing yourself, you're like, what am I doing here? Like these people are all like changing the world. So anyway, thanks for the invite. <laughs> go ahead, Ray. No, Sorry. We're just talking about this. Like if you're starting out in your career, we're talking to a whole bunch of folks like over the last four weeks, if you're just starting out in your career, like how do you meet anybody? Like we're all living on our past relationships and everything is so forced. It's planned. Like there's no like pulling someone off on the hallway and like saying, Hey, like a serendipitous meeting or just catching up with someone or waiting for them after they come speak at a keynote. Like we do these keynotes and then boom, we're, we're cut off, right? And Saul Kaplan says anybody. random collisions. You're right. Random collisions. Our if, good friend Saul Kaplan. Saul. Yeah, yes. it's hard. It's hard. The ruckus. The ruckus. Right, right, right. right. The ruckus. <laughs> I mean, and this is kind of a, it's a tough thing, right? So when we're thinking about these connections and we're thinking about how this happens, I mean, like, how can we recreate this? Like, what, what are you doing to help? I mean, is it just these random meetings you're setting up? Are there other things that we can do to invite new people in? Yeah, well, th this is certainly an area, Ray, where I think that especially if, let's say, if you're a younger professional and you're, you know, yes. you're starting from a base where you don't really have a lot of connections, this is where institutional affiliations can become really powerful. Yes. So, for instance, you know, most people might have an alumni association that they're affiliated with or could get affiliated with. Maybe there's uh, an industry organization. Those are groups that are hurting right now because they were predicated on having in-person events too. So they're yeah. trying to go virtual. And so it's a perfect place if you are willing to step in and say, oh, hey, I would be willing to organize a young alumni Zoom meetup. Would you be interested in having me do that? I mean, do you think they're going to say no? Like, of course, they're like, oh, great. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. You can you can essentially piggyback on the list of those organizations which are happy for you to sort of take some of the organizing burden. And then you can become the center of that group. Now, for more established professionals, as Vala was saying, uh, one of the things that I've been doing, along with a colleague of mine named Alyssa Cohn, is organizing regular uh, during the early days of the, of the pandemic, it was actually every week. Uh, now it's a little less often, but these virtual cocktails. And so you can do it with a partner. I'll invite half the people. Alyssa will invite half the people so your networks can intermingle. Um, you can actually have some of the people that you invite suggest other future guests. So there's a lot of ways to grow your network organically. That's awesome. Sage advice. And a Disrupt TV alumni one. Yeah, no, I was thinking about that. You're right, Ray, right. We've had uh, almost 700 guests, so that's a pretty awesome network. My final question to you is, um, I'm super interested in, in your new book, The Long Game. The new book, Can you talk yes. uh, about, and I hope you consider coming back when the book is out in September to give us even more of an update, but give us, what, what, what is the uh, central thesis with the book and what, what's the takeaway that you hope people will walk away with after reading what's sure to be another bestseller for you? I appreciate it, thank you. I'm really excited about the book. What sparked my desire to write it is that so often, you know, and I feel this myself and in talking with other professionals, I, I really get the sense that 
so many of us, especially during the pandemic, just have this constant feeling like we're falling behind. We're so busy, but we don't have a moment to think. We don't have a moment to breathe. We look around at the people around us and they, you know, oh, they seem to have it all figured out, at least on social media. And there's this constant comparison. And I really wanted to take a step back and say, all right, if we look at what success means, and first of all, figuring out what success means for us, but really thinking through how we can attain it and what it looks like. I wanted to map out that process and some of the strategies that we can use to, to be more thoughtful about mm -hmm. pursuing the right goals for us and also how to get through, frankly, what's the hardest part, which is the, the middle part, the slog, where it feels like, you know what? Every, everybody else is in a better position than I am. Should I just give up? And the answer is is almost never that you should never, give up. Never. But it takes so much fortitude to be yeah. able to do that. And I wanted to help give people strategies so that they can push through and really get where they want to go. I love that. I love that. Can't wait. Can't wait for the book. Congrats. When is the book coming out? What's the end date? September. Se September 21st. Oh, we nice. gotta get you for CCE. So Dory Clark, strategy consultant, executive coach, keynote speaker, and number one communications person, coach in the world. You can follow her on Twitter at D-O-R-I-E-C-L-A-R-K. Thanks for being on the show. We'll see Dory, you you're awesome. Gentlemen, <laughs> so glad to be with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, anybody who knows Dory, just, she's, she's just super smart and, and, amazing. and super generous. And, uh, uh, speaking of super smart, <laughs> I've known this guy for a decade, and he's always working on bleeding edge technology. Greg Johnson, CEO of Invoca. One thing I know about Greg, he loves rolling up his sleeve and doing what it takes to make customers happy and businesses successful. I witnessed that firsthand as a Salesforce customer and then a Salesforce employee. So on both sides of the lineup, this is a guy who you want to go to, to to do bigger and better things. He's a seasoned SaaS leader and a CEO at Mocha, active a company that's developing active conversation intelligence platform. And we'll talk more about that uh, during our interview. Before Invoca, Greg held several roles at Salesforce, including senior vice president of product management for their marketing cloud and vice president of product management for their Chatter product. Again, 2009 Chatter came. First company to talk about social business and social graphing business. And Greg was beyond all of that. Uh, beyond work, uh, Greg loves surfing, rooting for his alma mater, Stanford, Cardinals, spending time with his three kids. I have three kids, so I, I appreciate what we've been going through for the last year. Uh, mountain biking, grilling, and just about anything to do with outdoors. Another great follow on Twitter to learn about technology, business, and leadership at Greg with two G's underscore Johnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N. Greg, great seeing you again. Great, Vala, great to see you. And it's, uh, it's, it's, I feel like I'm coming to a family reunion between <laughs> you, Dion, Ray, all these people I haven't talked to in a while. So it's like, you know, the warm fire on a, on a rainy day or a day. Uh, Boston is really cold. So yeah, it is exactly, the warmth of this show is, is spectacular. You're right. Thank you for being a guest. No, hey, thank you for being here. And you pulled off some incredible stuff with Chatter, something that was conceived four weeks prior in an island in Hawaii and suddenly to market. <laughs> it was pretty incredible. But let's talk about Invoca, your new company. What's yeah. it about? What's going on here? What does the company do? I think a lot of people have been curious. Yeah, yeah. So I joined Invoca four years ago and was really excited. One of the things that I worked on a lot at Salesforce between Chatter and Marketing Cloud was this idea of the power of conversations and conversational data. And so what we're doing at Invoca is we built a conversation intelligence platform that helps 
marketing teams, e-commerce teams, sales teams really connect the dots between digital interactions and human-to-human -human conversation to drive revenue and, and to build better relationships with customers. So I know for techies like you know, Value and Ray, you'll know exactly what that means, but for more common lay, lay people, I'll give you a quick example. So you know, imagine if you're moving out, if you love the outdoors like I do, and in the pandemic world, you're moving to you know, Utah or Idaho or Montana where you can work remote. Once you get a place to live, you gotta go get some of your new age essentials. You need internet service, you need satellite TV, so if you go out and, and look on Google and you find those things, you click on an ad, you go to a website of a company like Dish Network, who's a customer of ours. You do a bunch of research, figure out the product you want, put it in your cart, you're starting to check out. And then at the last minute, you have that itching question I always have is like, is this the right, is this the perfect product? Like I'm just not sure what the right product, I want the perfect product. And so if you've never bought it before, you call in and talk to somebody in the contact center and you get some advice and then you buy. Um, that experience is, covers digital interactions, human-to-human -human interactions, but it's challenging for a company to manage that because if you're in marketing, you're driven by results, you're driven by what you do to drive sales. And so as a digital marketer, if I go from you know a Google ad to the website and I buy online, I can track that. But the minute I escalate and speak to a human in the contact center, I lose that feedback loop of how marketing is driving sales conversations. If I'm on the e-commerce team, I see that you put an item in your cart and then you abandon, but I don't know that you actually bought over the phone or through chat. And then you've got the problem of, I'm probably gonna end up as a company sending you a discount for a product you just bought. If you're in the contact center, you know that, that consumer sent off a lot of digital body language about what products and services they're interested in. But when I, as an agent, pick up the phone, I don't know any of those things. And so at Invoca, we're really focused on tying those things all together to deliver a great experience and to help drive revenue. And we do it not only in telecommunications, but like financial services and healthcare and a lot of other complicated purchases. Greg, Greg, so, this is really, really important part of business software. One of the things I'm talking about uh, over the next year is gonna be about the business graph. Social networks have social graphs that tell you the context that translate while that comes back. The business graph is the same thing. How do we tie an action to a document, to an agent, to a conversation, back to the interaction history and to inform what do you do next? Or yeah. do we miss something? Or do we lose a customer? Why do we abandon it, right? And this business graph concept we think is picking up because the signal intelligence that you're getting, especially yeah. for some of the stuff you're doing, needs to be tied back to the overall customer experience. Yeah, completely. And I think the interesting thing to me today where technology has really moved forward is it used to be that like the digital interactions, you could all track those. They were super quantifiable. You get all this data, all this digital exhaust. I think Val, you mentioned that term earlier, but the human to human interaction, like it was really painful. You had to write stuff down. You had to manually enter it in. And the cool thing these days is, you know, technology can help collect data on those things naturally, right? Like you think about- it's that ambient experience, that ambient- Exactly, exactly. It all together. But so sorry, Paul, I jumped in on yeah, that. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> no, it got me all excited because this is uh, one of the things we're looking at. Yeah, no, I mean, just the, Greg and his team got me excited 10 years ago about, uh, you know, the, the social graph uh, and the, or the business graph that, that is social uh, to, to be inclusive of not just people, but machines. Uh, so when I- uh, when they when Greg and team introduced our chatter uh, technology and, and recognizing quickly that you could have objects and things that are connected to your network be part of the chatter conversation. I filed the U.S. patent in 2011 on being able to chat with machines and have the machines chat machines in my world yeah. networking data center and Wi-Fi access points. 
And so we had to uh, increase our, our sandbox because we had now introduced machines using natural language, local language, chatting with us. So our social graph blew up because it was more than just people. And in 2018, I received the US patents. So, you know, just what Greg is talking about has been working on for a decade, and it's really future of business because if you want to create value at the speed of need, your business social graph needs to have as much contextual intelligence as possible. And that's people and that's chatbots and robots and algorithms and anything else that can help uh, create a stronger workflow. Sorry, I'm geeking out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm geeking out here. But, well, go ahead. So, but I, I didn't even have a question, but I just want to yeah, know. It's funny. Like you've been inventing this stuff for a decade. Yeah, well, well, you're just making me feel old now. So thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Can you see the gray hairs? You see yeah. The gray hair? yeah, at least you have hair. You know, I'm lost. <laughs> um, as you all were talking to Dory, you know, people are reinventing themselves, but companies are reinventing themselves too right now in a COVID world. And, you know, digital data can give you some ideas of how to reinvent yourself. But what I find, and I talk to the companies that we serve, they really want to be close to their customers right now. Oh, like yeah. things are changing so fast. You know, I think Val, you've quoted the stat from McKinsey around 75% of consumers have tried a new brand, bought in a new way, or gone through a new uh, way to acquire goods and services since the pandemic began. Unbelievable number. Everything's changing so fast. And so the ability to mine those conversations that you're having with consumers at scale is more important, I think, today as business models are, are changing. And then what you can do is you can take that insight to change the digital elements of your, of your business as well. So like you use the human to human components to improve the digital elements and the whole, it all works together. Um, but I think COVID, it's been really interesting. We serve a, lo a lot of companies in the, in the healthcare space. Um, and so for example, last March, as the, as the pandemic was just getting going, uh, we worked with Northwell in New York and we worked with Providence St. Joseph's in Seattle that were both you know, at the forefront of what was going on with COVID. And, and we deployed algorithms to them to proactively help them understand what was going on with conversations around COVID because these were so new, we were learning so much. And they used that to figure out you know, what content did they need to provide digitally? How could they improve the chatbots they were doing? Northwell's doing something super cool now where they're looking at all the signals of digital and human interactions, like how many visits are they getting to their pages around coronavirus and COVID and using that as a prediction model to understand are they likely to see a surge in cases and hospital visits. And so the, these worlds of like digital in real life and conversation that used to be so disparate, they're all blending together, which makes for super interesting problems to solve into your old age, which is what I seem to be doing according to Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Do you sense that vaccine distribution dilemma that the world's going to face for the foreseeable future will even further uh, increase the requirement of being able to really understand the, the, the customer experience as they're going through this healing process that's a multi-stage, uh, multi-touchpoint process? Completely. I mean, I think, you know, everything that we took for granted that we knew that we relied upon has been blown apart over the past yeah. year. Oh and so God. I think companies are really sensitive to how do I be as agile as possible to react to change, yeah. but what are my inbound signals of how I need to change? And those, those human conversations are a great source for that. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing not that's not just that massive change, right? This whole new, new push towards automation, understanding experience, understanding relevance, um, bringing that all together into one spot. 
um, is part of this uh, return to normal because a lot of things that we did manually are being thrown out and a lot of things that we thought uh, were the right prescription, you know, defined paths of journeys and things like that are being thrown out. Uh, a great example, right? I mean, like, you know, I, I'm the same guy that likes to go to a, I don't know, we go skiing, we'll camp out at Hampton and I don't really want to see anybody. Like, I just want the yeah. mobile pass and just go, let me get the key, right? I don't want to check in, talk to anybody. I go to the Ritz. Oh yeah, I want the door person. I, I want to be able to get the person <laughs> out me a champagne. The front desk says hello, right? But I'm the same person, and and the ability to know that and to determine that is, is is going to be super important as we get into not just personalization and understanding and that level of intelligence uh, around that customer journey. So so what happens when we get to this bounce back in human interactions and you know how is this interplay of human and digital going to play out for you not just in crm and contact centers and customer experience i mean it goes on even in the workplace yeah yeah i think um i mean one thing i've seen is really interesting and, and val i'll be interested to see if you and ray have heard this the marketing and customer experience professionals we've talked with over the past year they've been using the word empathy yeah. I've never yeah. heard a marketer use empathy before. They yeah. like we would talk about. You know, I worked at a CRM company for ten years. We talked about personalization. We talked about three hundred and sixty view of the customer, but all those things are very rational, logical ways of thinking about your customer interactions. And I keep hearing marketers say, like, I want to develop a more empathetic relationship with my with my customer. Now, the, the does that mean cloud is here? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah that, oh, wow! He's branding but, ahead of all. <laughs> you know, there's there's elements. There's there's unique windows of opportunity to develop empathy, right? Like, my bank does not develop empathy with me by having me call them and talk to them to check my bank account balance or to to execute a stock trade. Like, that's inconvenience. That's not empathy. Yeah. Where my bank can build empathy with me is when, you know, like earlier this year, I was thinking about refinancing my house and, you know, I'm a, I'm an Excel guy. I can go do all the math, but I only, only refinance my mortgage like once every five or six years. And so I was trying to think about different products and pros and cons. And, and there was a moment of truth that, you know, my, my bank was able to empathize with me and help me make that decision. Um, and those things are powerful. So I think marketers are trying to figure out how can I digitize the commonplace? Hmm. And then how do I create deeper human connections at these unique windows of opportunity and develop real empathy? Because that's that's really powerful. And I think it's interesting, you know, Bob, because I come from a CRM company, I tend to think a lot about CRM. What's super interesting to me is you see this collision of the contact center in CRM and, you know, like with uh, Qualtrics going public yesterday and the spin out from SAP. So like the CX players, this stuff is all mashing together. And I feel like it used to be that the CRM world was very focused on digital interactions like email and social messaging and the contact center because it was on-prem, they kind of leave it alone and they wouldn't really deal with it. But now I look at you know Salesforce reselling Amazon Connect's cloud platform. Um, you've got contact center platforms like Genesis and Five9 who are integrating with Google to do bots and building their own. And then you've got the CX players getting into the mix. So I think everybody's realizing that the old world of like digitals over here and the real life people to people interaction over here, those boundaries are collapsing. And so I think as we come out of the pandemic, Ray, a lot of people are gonna have more focus on the empathy people side of the relationship and how do you use those windows of opportunity to make the most of your brand and your customer experience. Yeah, you know, the, that the future of CX, right, is, is this content, um, context, channels, commerce, all coming together. 
and, and all around the customer. And when we see that happen, I mean, that's where a lot of this automation is going to occur. A lot of the next best action, the referrals, the, all those kind of things in the background. I mean, it's, it's happening super fast. Yeah. The only challenge is the question is, how does it work? right, for enterprises versus consumers, because that seems to be where the gap is. And for whatever reason, there's, there's whatever, is it security, is it scale, is it convenience? Something is happening um, that's just keeping it from getting there. And I think some of your technology might be one of the missing glue pieces to, to help them get there. Yeah, I think a lot of it's about putting data together. And, you know, I think about Salesforce 360 or Adobe's experience platform, it's how do you take the disparate sources of data and, and bring them together and, and help people do their jobs as effectively as possible. And so for us, we, we view these human-to-human interactions, chats, phone conversations as an incredible source of insight. If you can tie that together with digital, which is a unique link that we provide, and, and then you really accelerate an agent's ability to focus on what matters, which is yeah. like the, the human-to-human connection. I think about it a lot now. When I talk to customer uh, contacts or agents, like they're working from home now. And like they're in the exact same position I am. We're all kind of in our own little space in our own little offices. And when they make those empathetic, deeper connections, that's something that lasts years and years and years. Yeah. And I think it really represents the brand well. So it's just, it's fun to see technology enabling that human to human experience to be better, to be more value added, um, to go deeper than it has than it has in the path. And, and, and that's what we think is really exciting as we go into the future. It's, you know, as a former CMO, I'm, I'm delighted to hear, you know, empathy as part of the conversation. Historically, uh, this tenure of CMOs is the lowest tenure amongst all of the CXOs in business. So uh, the, the, the pressure of awareness and storytelling, and I think it was Brené Brown who famously said, good stories are data with a soul. Yeah. So being able to leverage data to understand and empathize and anticipate and proactively engage. How can you create value at the speed of need, stakeholder need, whether it's employee, customer, partner, communities you serve, using data? And that takes special talent. And I sort of, so I always think marketeers have a really tough job because the board, the CEO, the CFO, you still, you know, how are you contributing to the revenue? Are we more profitable? Yeah. So if you're not a CMO that quant, if you're not taking the art into the science and the science into the art, and you have to do both. There's no debate which one, it's not an either or, it's like food or oxygen, you, have, you need both to, to live. Um, how, do you, how do you use these important characteristics like empathy and, and, and the science part of data to really optimize the customer journey? So when you're consulting a CEO and the CEO says, Greg, I just read that the experience is as important as the product that I'm building or the service yeah. I'm providing, help me, optimize the customer journey, where do you start? Do you baseline their capabilities? Do you yeah. look, you know, what's their, do you try to identify what their North Star is as a company? How, give us some sense of how you go yeah. after this. I think, I think a lot of it comes back to thinking about the customer journey and key points in the customer journey, because typically what we see happening today is digital is the first place that people go to find information or to get things done. Yeah. Sure. But then there are specific points where if digital doesn't quite work or if they want that extra hand, they reach out for help. And so identifying where those points and how can you make those transitions smooth and effective and how can you delight the customer, that's what we end up focusing on a lot is really kind of connecting those dots. And then for me on the technology side, like how do you take all this unstructured conversational data and structure it into rows and columns in a way that can be used inside digital? And, and, and that's where the technology really comes in. So. Yeah, I think to your earlier point, Vala, um, with all the hype around digital transformation, 
everybody was really focused on data and they sort of forgot about the soul a little bit. <laughs> data can make the soul better. Yeah. And, and what COVID has done, both by, I think, making us all feel human again and also mm -hmm. by making us realize sort of the value of those inter interpersonal touch points is it's brought the soul back into the conversation. And, and I think that's why I have sort of a, a wry smile every time <laughs> I hear a marketer say the word empathy. I'm like, I never heard you say this before 2020. <laughs> Uh, in the back of my head, I don't say it out loud, no, sure, sure. Um, but we've gone from personalization and logic and data, I think, to also empathy and soul and thinking about the balance of those two things and how you bring them together. It's so nice to go from, you know, multi-touch attribution and close <laughs> rates and funnel stuff to more, more human conversation. To your point, the best marketers have to do both. Yeah, and yeah, definitely, our, definitely. the way that we work with them is they have to do both. But oh. yeah, it's 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 the right integrated approach to both Absolutely. of those things. A balanced, balanced approach. It's more than conversion rates. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Listen, conversion rates are hugely important, but you're right. Balanced approach. <laughs> All right. Well, we're with Greg Johnson, CEO of Invoca, Stanford Cardinals fan. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at G-R-E-G-G -G underscore Johnson. Thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, we'll catch up with you later as well. Great. Thank you. Greg, you crushed it. Thank you, my friend. Wow. Um, super smart CEO. Again, for as long as I've known him on the you know kind of bleeding edge, but pragmatic use of technology. Speaking of bleeding edge, um, one of my favorite thinkers, I, I don't want to just say analysts because that's putting him in a too much of a siloed bucket, thinkers uh, in the world. Dion Hinchcliffe, Vice President, Principal Analyst at Constellation Research. Uh, Dion covers leadership strategies for new C-suite, digital workplace, Internet of Things, lots of emerging technologies. Anybody who reads his posts knows that he's not limited to any one space. He's really an incredible thought leader. He's an internationally recognized business strategist, best-selling author, enterprise architect, industry analyst, and noted keynote speaker. He's widely regarded. Anytime there's a list of like most influential, he's right at the top. Uh, one of the most influential figures in digital strategy, future of work. See, who CIOs listen to and, and, and follow an enterprise IT. Uh, Dion uh, at Constellation advises senior executives and top industry vendors on strategy necessary to confront change and thrive in the digital era. A must follow. If I had to follow only a handful of technologists on Twitter, he would make the list absolutely at D-H-I-N-C-H-C-L-I-F-F-E, D Hinchcliffe on Twitter. Welcome back, Dion, to Disrupt TV. Wow, what a great intro, Vala. Thank you so much. Happy Friday, gentlemen. Hope you bought your uh, GameSpot low this week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but the fear of missing out with me is so high at this point, it's ridiculous. But uh, <laughs> I'm not smart enough to play in these. Only Ray can do that. So. Yeah, well, now no, Dogecoin no, no. is the hot new thing. So, yeah, it, it's it's the, the financial instrument of the hour now. Wow, it's unbelievable. it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. But we're here with like the top CIO whisperer. And Diane, I mean, you've been talking, you've been a CIO in many instances. And of course, you've been talking to tons of CIOs in our BT150 network and of course the Constellation clients. What's going on? What's 2021 look like? What should we be hearing about? Uh, what are CIOs telling you? What's hot? Well, I mean, that the, I actually did a survey of what I felt were the top 100 CIOs out there and, and then, and then, uh, I harassed them until they gave me, you know, what are they going to do in 2021? What does this year hold? Uh, what are they planning? And what's really clear is that uh, uh, digital transformation is here right now. They, they went through it last year really hurriedly. They, they got, they adapted their workplace. Uh, their customers all shifted to want to be served digitally. So they, they set up shop really quickly online wherever they had gaps. 
but it was it was it was done quickly. Uh, and now this year they're trying to do it right. And so we're seeing that's the number one budget priority in 2021 is digital transformation of work and the customer experience. And they're expecting results the first six months of this year. So no more kicking the can down the road. Um, they're, uh, they're really having to adjust both the internal parts of the business and the outside. And now they're rebuilding and getting it right this year. Uh, and they have to, to survive. Uh, we see that uh, their budgets have been cut across the board. Uh, most of the CIOs I surveyed are either undergoing a restructuring of IT or a restructuring of the business or both, the majority of them. Uh, so how do you keep the lights on and how do you uh, innovate during you know, such rapid change? Uh, and so I asked them, what's the number one thing that you're going to invest in this year to get you through all this? And automation was head and shoulders above everything else. They're going to try to automate, do much more with less and do it faster. Uh, and they're going to be using things like robotic process automation, AI tools, and all sorts of really exciting approaches. They're thinking outside the box, low code, for the first time, I was talking. Uh, I was giving a keynote at a, a Google uh, CIO summit late last year, and all these CIOs are, were walking around and talking to me, walking around virtually in Zoom, uh, talking about low code because they are saying I need to build, do a lot more with less. And so that's a very hot topic, and also how they'll be automating and doing workflow. Um, uh, and, and you know, it's it's an exciting time. So a lot of the things that have they thought they had more time to do, they're just doing it right now. We're not seeing IT bu budgets being cut very much or at all, and it's going up for digital transformation. So those are the that's the big macro trend. That is really good news. So yeah. By the way, if you're in IT, not just CIO, at any level in IT, I highly encourage you to download Dion's extensive report in terms of the 2020 forecast in CIO. Three categories that stood out for me. One was IT budgets remaining somewhat unchanged. In fact, there was a silver lining in the report in terms of cloud migration. 80% of CIOs reported no less than 10% change in their IT budget. Many survey CIOs surveyed said they plan to increase. That was one that stood out. The technology critical to their overall success, like you mentioned, automation was number one, clearly alongside making IT more uh, resilient uh, to disruption and then creating a talent stream uh, of just-in-time skills and abilities. So those were the top three in terms of leaning into technology. And then the other piece that kind of resonated with me is employee well-being is now an IT objective. And, you know, now that the world is moving remotely, how can IT infrastructure be used most effectively to ensure employee engagement, well-being, as, you know, workers are siloed, they have, you know, they feel somewhat isolated. And so there's now uh, infrastructure and innovation opportunities to really assist with this distributed only, digital only world that we've been in the last year, and we may be in for another year, depending again on our successful distribution of vaccines. So can you talk a little bit about this role of IT partnering, for example, with a CHRO to really ensure employee satisfaction, retention, and health, both not physical, not just physical, but mental, and also the fact that you know uh, folks that are modernizing and have a cloud-first mentality are actually increasing budget. Well, absolutely. And so IT actually has a central role in helping uh, not only workers get back to the workplace and get through all this, but the, as you mentioned, the well-being. And I'm actually seeing CHROs and CIOs partnering to say, all right, well, we actually need to be able to monitor these employees, not in a scary, spooky way, but in a, you know, in, in, a, in a paternal way, saying, we want to make sure they're okay. We want to make sure they're physically healthy, they're mentally and psychologically well. And so how do we do that? And there's a number of ways. So um, uh, and the vendors are really helping too. It's great. We see companies like Logitech are saying, you can use all your webcams and we can actually tell you know, an operations center when there's too many people collected in the meeting room or they're too close together and we can send friendly and helpful 
text messages or, or, or background notifications to tell people this. Uh, so, you know, there are ways of keeping the workplace safe because they, the, now that we have all these new strains, it looks like it's going to be a very interesting time in 2021 as well. Uh, and so we need active tools to manage. So I see companies are using RFID badges as another solution. Yeah, yep, so yep. You can track where people are, how you know, if you have too much density, uh, you can just help people keep safe. Um, uh, and then uh, some uh, organizations are actually actively sampling workers or, and this sounds a little big brother, but you're doing it in a very benign way, scanning email for sentiments to make sure that person's safe. They only use the information. They don't read it themselves. They only, only read the sentiment out of the communications from that worker. And they can tell when that worker needs help and they proactively reach out. One very large energy company I spoke with, I was talking to both their CIO and CHRO, and they say, yeah, we proactively intervene to make sure our workers are in, in good shape. Uh, and that's best practice. Most organizations aren't doing that. Um, uh, says leading edge, but um, uh, yeah, we're seeing technology being used, uh, analytics uh, and AI. Uh, we're seeing uh, workplace technologies and tools being able to, to help. And now we're seeing a lot of planning tools uh, mm -hmm. to be able to, to help organizations uh, orchestrate the return to work in a safe way. And then, of course, the, the return back out several times. I mean, as these new strains emerge, it's likely we'll have to go into lockdown a couple more times. We'll have to go home a couple more times until we get a vaccine response uh, and booster shots that are that are fast enough. Uh, so oh, some just, companies have these things called a vaccine cloud. I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Super innovative companies. The name escapes me right now. The name escapes me too. I have no idea who would do that. But do you think, Dan, do you think at some point, you know, a, a, a digital vaccine verification as part of your digital wallet uh, that's time stamped and, and helps companies isolate identify, isolate, and, and uh, perhaps even semi-automatically contact trace is a requirement for us to get back to offices. Well, How, need... Offices, Bala, it's, it's going to be uh, getting onto planes, going to concerts, getting right. right. football games. Right. Uh, coming to CCE. Back. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. No, you're not kidding. You're not going to get folks as smart as the audience that you have at CCE coming to a conference unless you actually show how technology yeah. is ensuring their safety, for sure, yeah. Yeah, and there's no question about it. And so the question, the issue is really, I, I think that uh, who's who's got a strong enough industry position to be able to make that happen in a widespread way. Uh, I think the federal government could do it, um, but they don't have they don't actually own the digital platforms like the smartphones. So mm -hmm. is this a Google or an Apple uh, move? I, I'm surprised we haven't heard more from them. And I think that their concern is that they would also make themselves targets for. Uh, for, for those you know who are maybe less constructive about dealing with all of this, and and uh, and so they're they're worried about the, the negative backlash of saying we're going to put ourselves in the middle of the whole pandemic uh, story. But I think now that we have a change of administration, I think it's very likely that that we'll see the major platforms step in with some sort of solution because we need a very fast and scalable way. It's got to be really easy. We know how consumer adoption is totally affected by how easy something is to to use. And if we can get uh, you know your your proof of vaccination and proof of booster shots in a way that people can stream in and out of facilities very uh, of you know uh, very with uh, you know relatively effortlessly, we won't have any you know we won't have the issues that we could otherwise have. So uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to happen, uh, and I I hope that it does. Uh, but yeah, we're we're going to have a lot of other tools uh, that, that uh, I think that organizations are going to put into place as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Safety is a brand pillar, in my opinion. Now, if you can't protect your stakeholders. You're essentially tarnishing your brand, no matter what sector you're in. So, you know, it's uh, it's like Clay Christensen who wrote in his book, "You may hate gravity, but gravity doesn't care." Uh, you know, you just, the debates about you know uh, this, that, and the other, if it means that you're not going to have a safe environment, is 
is a debate that you ultimately are going to lose, in my opinion. But sorry, Ray, go ahead. Anyway. No, no, not at all. And and hey, related to that, I mean, you know, safety is another piece. Security is another piece that we've been worried about. I mean, like, you know, how, how do you take out, like, I don't know, half the internet, some phone lines like the other day. Like, I mean, that's a little bit ridiculous, right? I mean, these things just don't get cut and like there's no redundant systems that are going on. And we've been seeing this all year. We've been seeing companies get attacked everywhere. Their attack surfaces are all over the place. Like what's going on in the CISO cybersecurity world? I know you do that with Liz and you talk about that, but CIOs are also super concerned. What's happening? Well, so the, the CIO can't sleep at night because of the threat of things like ransomware or, or some very big data leak. Uh, you know, that will effectively end their career. Um, but they're also worried about their, their stakeholders, um, uh, probably more so than themselves. Uh, and, and so what, are they, what do we do about that? Uh, and so we had a, a, a thousand fold increase in attack surface area because a of all thousand. The oh, my God. Wow. I mean, at least you can't even I mean, we say that it sounds ridiculous, but think about this. Uh, every time uh, we send workers home, uh, however many workers we have, that's how many new surface areas we've just created. People who, ha who have our business data, our customer information, and are accessing it from relatively unsecure locations. That has wow. created a, a, a wow. you know, target-rich environment for, for bad actors. And so we see hospitals are, are just terrified about ransomware because many of them have actually been successfully attacked. And patients have died because of the cybersecurity incidents. And, and uh, so there is a lot of concern. Uh, so the, the, we're seeing uh, startups that have innovative approaches like locking down the network, learning the pattern of communication. And when any part of that pattern changes, that immediately is raised up to a security administrator says, hey, we have a new pattern of traffic that we've never seen before in our network. Wow. Uh, this is going to, I think, uh, impede innovation a little bit as people try, you know, uh, shadow IT and unsanctioned solutions. Uh, but uh, I think we're going to have to use new uh, zero trust approaches where we say, Let's snapshot what we're doing, and if anything changes, that's probably a bad, a bad guy doing something. So we're seeing approaches that are making it more manageable, uh, I think, for organizations. But there's no question about it. Cybersecurity came up very high in my survey. It wasn't the number one budget item, but it's the number one worry for sure for both CIOs uh, as well as other top executives, knowing that any minute uh, a hole in one of their technology products can leak all their customer information out. It, you know, it's in these digital times we're seeing this. this a, kind of a big global push to go to zero trust. We need to push everything back out of trust boundary and bring it in one at a time until we're absolutely sure. So, I, yeah, right. Your point is exactly right. Uh, we're seeing, uh, uh, we've seen a dramatic series of events, including the pollution of our cybersecurity uh, supply chain with the solar winds. Now the they're actually getting at, at the tools we're using, and that's that that's very concerning. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an ongoing defense note. is hard in cybersecurity. Offense is easy. This is crazy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and threat vectors with complexity of AI introduced into the mix, uh, where the speed of attack and the dimensions uh, are can be so uh, sophisticated that if you don't have the same tools in terms of how you play defense, it could be a world of uh, world of trouble. One of the things that Disrupt TV is famous for is having best-selling authors on our show. In fact, just this show alone, our co-host is coming out with a new book in 2021, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Dory Clark is writing her, I think, sixth book. Three or four have been bestsellers. And a little birdie told me, and this may be breaking news, uh, that you are working on a book. And I don't know the release date, uh, but uh, can you tell us um, what you're writing about, who you're collaborating with, uh, because if it's a die-on book, I know just about everyone watching is going to want a copy. 
It's got a halo effect. So, so yeah, we're having a new book well underway, and it's about how to rebuild after all of this. What do we know? What if someone could put together every single technique that we know um, that has worked successfully in the past uh, for organizations to, to rebuild, restructure, thrive, and grow in very, very hard times? Wow. Uh, so I've always collected those stories, um, and, and I have my, my co-author, who I can't announce yet. Uh, he's one of the most well-regarded CIOs, well-known CIOs uh, in the world. Um, and award-winning and you know, CIO of the year and, all, and so on. We're pulling together all of our collective experience. And so it'll be uh, you know, the post-pandemic playbook uh, uh, with an emphasis on digital transformation, of course. That's, that, that's gonna be key. Uh, and it should be, uh, we're hoping it will be on the nightstand of every business leader out there to help us get back to uh, a great world, a stronger, more resilient, uh, happier world after all this is over. Will you promise that when you are ready to reveal more about your co-author and details of the book, you'll do it on Disrupt? Let's bring I your co-author on I too, as well. He's not disrupt, I promise you. So, all right, awesome, awesome. This is where people come to learn about the book. We so. want them on. <laughs> awesome, so. awesome. I feel so like unaccomplished with you, great. I don't know, Bob, let's write a book together. <laughs> hey, listen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, don't don't make an offer that. Uh, that you know, I'm, I would love to do. We should write anyway. a book on disrupt TV. I don't know. Maybe maybe we could have someone come help us with that. Anyways, okay. Yeah. Hey, so so the other thing. Okay, so we launched Constellation TV. CRTV's up. Episode four. What's up with this future of work Citrix thing that you're doing? It's on the ear stream. <laughs> you're up every week. I mean, like, tell us how, how that jealous. happened. It's a lot of fun. Uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, so I really wanted to, to share all, uh, you know, the remote work techniques uh, that we've collected. I mean, we, we know a lot about, we've learned a lot about collaboration, about the cutting edge of collaboration over the last 10 years. But most people don't know about this, right? How do you do mass collaboration, network leadership? It's not just the technologies. It's the skills for how to, to engage and manage over a network. There's all these things that, that now we really need to know as our employee experience is almost entirely digital. You know, I, I often you know say that you know, our executives were not raised or not they were not taught on how to lead a, a, a you know, Fortune 500 company through a Wi-Fi connection. So how do you do that? So I wanted a way to really bring those lessons and those techniques to the world. But the perfect vehicle arrived, literally the perfect vehicle in the Citrix RV. They're, they just rebranded um, and they wanted to, to, to show it to the whole world. So they put their new branding on this big purple Airstream. Uh, and they said, hey, uh, you want you want to shoot some video on it? I said, well, actually, I'd just like to start kick off my show from it, if you don't mind. And they said, sure. Uh, so now we have this future of work reality show. You can find it on, on YouTube. Uh, it's also the episodes premiere on Constellation TV every other week. Um, uh, and then we explore one problem, one common you know issue in remote work. And then we solve it using technology or some technique or some approach. Uh, and so you'll learn concepts and tools and technologies every other week. Wow. We have a new episode. Uh, the first six are from the RV and the rest. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about heading down to Texas uh, for uh, do a road trip to the SpaceX facility. Um, and uh, you know, that's another huge thing that's going to be happening in the world, uh, you know, making humans multiplanetary. So we'll do a bunch of we'll work through all the issues of how to do. That's a very remote location. So how do you stay productive uh, out there? So are you taking an RV down next. to do that, or how, how are you going to camp out there? <laughs> I don't know. We're going to try. We'll try. We're going to try and get a Starlink terminal. So I'll tell you what. Uh, we would love to have you on site at the SpaceX plant doing a disrupt with us. Um, you so got please, it. please consider it. it. Um, and. Uh, 
we'll do our best to get Elon to promote you being I'll, there I'll as well. I'll get myself so the rocket's right behind me. So that's yeah. awesome. That would be amazing. That's that, awesome. Our, like panel, our producers listening, as soon as you're ready, we'll we'll make sure there's a spot. We might even do a special show uh, when you're down there. So that sounds great. That sounds great. <laughs> We are here with the world-renowned Dion Hinchcliffe, VP and Principal Analyst at Constellation Research, uh, number one follow for CIOs. You can follow him on Twitter at D-H-I-N-C-H-C-L-I-F-F-E, top secret book coming. We have to figure out who the co-author is. I think everyone's going to be asking. Your Twitter stream's about to get bombed. And more importantly, he doesn't have a Robin Hood app, so he's not trading. So that's all that matters. <laughs> or Coinbase. Thanks for being on the show, Dion. We'll see you in the green room. Thanks, guys. Thanks, uh, Bye-bye. See you in the green room. If you're at IT and you're not following his work, um, you're just missing out. You know, I remember when you told me that Dion was joining Constellation, and I think my immediate response was, holy shit, Constellation is now, you know, as comparable to any company advising CIOs in the world. Um, uh, so anyway, it's, he's, he's, uh, he's been, I've been a, I've been a fanboy for a decade. So, <laughs> it's uh, with the ZDNet graphics. Oh God! Oh, His, I mean, God. you know, awesome. the, the mind processes an image sixty times faster than text. So Dion, for years, has brilliantly taken complex topics and created illustrations with rich flows and logic and decision trees embedded in the illustration that really bring to life. Wow, this is why digital transformation matters. Wow, these are the components of future of work. Wow, this is why the future of IT and CIO responsibilities is changing due to the pandemic. So he's got this, no one, no one, no one can touch him when it comes to illustrations that- And you gotta remember too, when you're, when you're watching his graphics or talking to him, he's operating at three clock speeds. So oh, yeah. here's, you, know, you look at it and you're like, oh, that looks pretty, yeah, that makes sense. And then you look at it and you're like, holy crap, that's my problem, I gotta yeah, go yeah. solve it. And then you look at it, oh, that's what he really meant. Right? So and often it. the answer is embedded in an illustration. So it's not yeah. just, sometimes illustrations just focus on a problem statement so that you understand the why they don't get into the how and the what. His illustrations, as you said, are so multidimensional that in one picture, you get the why is this important, what you need to do about it, and this is how you start. And I'm telling you, it's a superpower to do that. Like you, it's, 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 anyway, we could do a whole show on you know, his That's the name of our next book, Vala, Superpowers, the guest of Disrupt TV. Superpowers. Superpowers. I, I love that. You don't need you don't you don't you don't need a cape to be disruptive. You don't need a cape to be disruptive. That's the subtitle. We're done. We're done. Oh, awesome. I love that. I love that. Quickly get right. that domain and hashtag on Twitter. Um, oh shoot! Quick, let me go do that. <laughs> all right. Uh, this was episode two twenty one. Next week is episode two twenty two. Steve Black, co-founder, chief strategy officer, Topia, is our guest. Uh, Scott D. Anthony and other thinkers, 50 amazing uh, person that partnered with wow, Clay, yeah. Clay Christensen. Clay Christensen. Uh, she's a strategic advisor, managing director of InnoSight, so uh, an incredible thought leader. And Shazi Obarigi, VP of Credit Marketplace at Credit Sesame, will be our final guest. So next week, another uh, incredible roster of trailblazers. Ray, you're closing. Uh, uh, remarks with Dory, Greg, and Dion. Just you know, <laughs> I mean, they, 
blew our minds. Uh, we were joking about short, you know, short sellers getting shafted by Reddit, <laughs> Reddit and Robinhood retail investors. Uh, but it's true. Uh, there's a lot of disruption going on out there. I think you're hearing it here. I think Dory did a great job helping us think about ourselves, what we have to do uh, yeah. to take ourselves into the next level. Uh, I think Greg is really building that future of where ambient experience meets customer experience and really what that brain graph is, a business graph is going to look like. Uh, and then more importantly, um, you just can't. I mean, it's just, when you talk to Diane, you just, just I can't believe he works for us. Let's just leave it that way. <laughs> I can't believe he's my colleague. So That's we'll start awesome. it that way. But hey, That's catch awesome. us every Friday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern for the live broadcast of Disrupt TV. If you want to sponsor, let us know. We're tracking to 50, 60,000 views per episode. Yeah. But more importantly, it's not that. It's it's the community that we've built. And uh, if you've got an idea, let us know. Your last words, Vala. Uh, when you mentioned those view numbers, I'm just so humbled and appreciative of our connections. Uh, your generosity is what fuels our inspiration. It's your generosity is why we get some of the world's best thinkers and practitioners to come on our show. So without the Disrupt TV community, uh, this show wouldn't exist. So thank you so much. And we hope to earn your attention uh, throughout the year with more spectacular guests week after week. All right. Take care, everybody. Happy Friday. Thanks, everyone.